You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Thank you. Well, I'm Sarah Schaefer, and I am the children's ministry director here at Radiant, but I'm also um, excited to tell you guys that I am moving into a full-time position here this fall. So God has really shown up this year, and I just want to thank you all for your prayers and encouragement for my family and I during this transitional season And I do want to give a special thanks to Pastor Marco and Carrie for the encouragement. They are incredible leaders here. We are so blessed to have them as our pastors. And I just want to thank you guys. It's such an honor to be here on this stage. And thank you for encouraging me, believing me, and giving me a little push that I needed to be up here this morning. Well, this morning, we're going to do some Bible teaching. So if you have your Bible with you, um, go ahead and get that out. And if not, if you have the YouVersion app on your phone, we're going to start in 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at the life of three young boys, children, actually, in the Old Testament, who fully devoted their lives to chasing after the heart of God. We're raising the next generation of kids here at Radiant. We're raising the next generation of leaders. All of us are doing that, not just the parents, because my kids are watching me, but they're also watching all of you. And these are going to be our leaders. So like these three young, bold boys, this morning, we're going to talk about how we can raise our children to desire to chase after the heart of God and how to fight the battles and the challenges that they're going to face in the, in the world, as we know that there's going to be many of those. Well, we're going to begin this morning in 1 Samuel 13. In this passage, the prophet Samuel, who's a messenger from God, is going to Saul, who is the king of Judah at this time, of Israel at this time. And Saul is going to, or Samuel's going to Saul and telling him in 1 Samuel 13, 13 through 14, You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command that the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over all of Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And he's appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Join me in prayer before we dig into this. Father, we love you, and we just desire more than anything this morning just to feel your presence and your love. We want to chase after you, Father, more than anything that we're chasing after in this world. We just thank you so much, God, for entrusting us with your children. Thank you for reminding us that they've been created perfectly in your image for your purpose. We are just vessels that you have given us, these children, to lead them to do what you have planned. Father, just remind us that as your church, every single one of us has an important role in this. Just help us lean into your love this morning. Help us to listen to what you have to say to us, 
Just help us to mold our hearts to be hearts that are more after you. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, my mom and I were out celebrating her retirement. She just retired from 36 years of teaching. It's incredible. I taught for 10. I have no idea how she taught for 36. (laughs) Um, But I was talking with my mom about how she discipled my brother and I. She has left an incredible legacy in our family. And there's something really special about my mom. She was a single mother. She left a really dangerous situation when I was seven years old. My brother was only six months old. She packed us up, and we moved across the country. She wanted to make a new life for us. She had nothing. She was working multiple jobs. She was going back to school. She was really working to make a better life for all of us. Well, I asked her, I said, how did you do what you did in our family? And she said it was challenging. She said it was the hardest thing she's ever done. So one thing that really stuck out to me in that conversation is that she said that she had so much anger and grief during that time. And she said that if it weren't for the love of God that she had to constantly lean into, she would have been in her darkest night. She said that she kept seeing his faithfulness over our lives over and over again. And she knew that he had her. She knew that he loved her and that he was with us and for us. She said that even through her grief and her pain, she knew how important it was that my brother and I, the precious gifts that were given to her by God, that she was raising us to chase after him. She knew that we were watching her, and she knew that she couldn't give up, even when she thought she was going to. She said intentionality was the key. But she also said that she discipled us through the everyday mundane activities. We played together. We prayed together. We ate together. She taught my brother and I how to work. She taught us how to rest. She brought us to church. She served in the church with my brother on her hip and me on her other leg. She did everything that she could to show us God's love. She made sure that we had godly men in our lives as spiritual fathers that we could look up to, that we could see were an example of Christ's love and a leader in a family because we didn't have that. Well, when I got home that evening, I was really thinking about preparing this message, and I just really felt that the way that she loved God and chased God was the reason that she left the legacy that she did. So loving God and leaning into his love is what helped her disciple, my brother and I, intentionally. So if we want the next generation to chase after the heart of God, we must, as a church, do the same thing. We are all here responsible for raising the next generation. They're going to lead us in a few short years. They're going to be a product of something. Let us make them a product of our church and of our love for God and not of the world that they're living in.
We as a church need to model to our next generation, to our children and to our youth, how to love and honor and obey God. So we're going to dive right into the scriptures, and we're going to talk first about a young boy named David. So I'm sure that you all know who David is. Um, David was a young boy who was after God's heart, and you probably know some of the stories of David from the Bible. But we're actually going to talk about David not as an adult, but as a young child. So we're going to move forward in the text to 1 Samuel 16. In this, the Lord has told Samuel that he was going to send him to Jesse. Jesse's David's father. And they lived in Bethlehem. And and Samuel was to go in, and there was going to be one of Jesse's sons that was going to be picked as king. And so the Lord told him, go in and ask him to bring his sons out. Well, Jesse had eight sons, but he brought out seven of them. So he's going through the line, and he's like, this one's handsome, this one's smart, this one's a soldier. And Samuel says to him in 16, verse 16, or sorry, 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Well, then Jesse was like, okay, well, here's Abinadab. And so Jesse calls Abinadab and has him pass in front of Samuel. And Samuel says, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. So Jesse had seven of his sons pass by before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So we asked Jesse, are these all of the sons that you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a handsome appearance, a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Jesse didn't even give a second thought that David would be anointed as king out of his eight sons. This is where we really find out who David is. So the rest of these brothers were tall, strong, and handsome. But David, the youngest, is the one chosen because of his heart for the Lord. He was the youngest in the family. Some scholars believe that David would have been around 12 years old at this time. He was a shepherd. So that meant that he tended the sheep. He spent most of his time alone in the fields. This is where we see David cultivating a lot of his gifts. So David wrote many of the Psalms. So we know that David was a talented poet and musician. He was even called into Saul's court to play the lyre to give Saul peace. So during the time in the fields, That is when he cultivated all of those gifts that God gave him. But it's also the time that he cultivated his relationship with God. David had a lot of quiet time out in those fields. He didn't have a smartphone or his Nintendo to keep him company. Our kids and our teens, 
that kind of quiet time doesn't even exist anymore. We can hardly get our eight-year-old to sit there for 10 or 15 minutes in quiet time alone. But that was, um, that was what David did. That was what David did all day long. He prayed, he worshiped, he sang, and he grew his heart for the Lord. Um, with all of the distractions that our kids face now and that we face, we have to be intentional about ourselves having that kind of time to cultivate our relationship, but also teaching our kids how to do that. So as a teacher, I had summers off. And during the school year, Andy and I do our quiet time before the kids wake up. So we don't have that distraction. We start our day. In the summer, don't judge me, but sometimes I sleep in after the kids wake up. So they just have their breakfast out, and they have their quiet activity planned, and I just tell them, like, go do your thing, and don't bother mom. They're six and eight now, so they're pretty independent. But I wake up, and then I still have my quiet time with the Lord. So they're awake, and they are distracting, especially my daughter Ava, if you guys know her. She'll come up to me during my quiet time. She needs to know every single detail of the entire day and the planned agenda for the week. And she likes to interrupt often. But sometimes when she does that, I just welcome it. And I just pull her up on my lap. And I'm like, Mommy's having her quiet time. Mommy's praying. Um, pray with me. Read with me. And she'll sit there for a few minutes. I think that even with that distraction, that summertime quiet time is some of my favorite time with the Lord, because I'm showing my kids how to do it. So they get to see that mom has time with the Lord that's prioritized, even when it's hard to do. So it doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to fit in somewhere. We're going to move forward in the text to 1 Samuel 17, 20. This story is one of the most familiar in the life of David. So in this part of our story, David's father has sent him out into the field where his brothers are soldiers. They've been facing the Philistine army, and he sent them out with food. So David comes out there. Well, the army has been facing a Philistine giant named Goliath for 40 days. 1 Samuel 17, 24 says, Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they're talking about Goliath, they all fled from him in great fear. In great what? Fear. They were afraid. The army of Israel was afraid of Goliath. Well, in walks this 13-year-old David, and he's standing, it says, David asked the men standing near him, well, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God. So for 40 
days, the Israelite soldiers are afraid of Goliath. And David walks in and said, how dare you defy my God? That is so good. We know how the story ends. He slays the giant with a stone and a slingshot. This story shows the heart and courage and undeniable faith in David's father, God. And it shows that he has a heart that believes that his God can help him do anything. And he is 13 to 15 years old. Well, David's private devotion prepared him for those public battles. And if you continue to read about the life of David as an adult, he has a lot of battles. And in every single one of them, he seeks God first. And that's different in David than it is in some of the other men that we see in the Old Testament. What does this mean for us as a church? We must have a heart like David. David, whether you are raising kids or not, you must have a heart like David. David's time in his secret place built his relationship with his heavenly father, and we just see that carry him through. Well, there's two ways that we as a family are incredibly intentional about showing our kids the heart of God. Because in order for them to understand God's love for them, we do have to show them where God shows up in their lives. So one thing, and I think one of the easiest things, is any time that our kids have feelings and emotions of excitement, love, joy, awe, we connect those emotions that they're having to the love of their father. And we say, isn't that an incredible feeling? That's from God. We go out into nature, and Isaac points out something. Isn't God amazing that he made that that way? It's so easy to walk outside and go for a walk and show our kids the love that God has for us because it's everywhere. It's in our emotions, and it's in nature. The other way that we are extremely intentional about showing our kids the heart of God is we invite their questions. So Jesus invited questions. In fact, he invited so many questions, he rarely gave answers to. He would usually answer them with another question. If you know our daughter, Ava, she is the girl of many questions. She will go on and on and on. So yes, we invite them, but we're not asking you to invite her questions. You can give Ava a three-question limit. That's okay, because we know she can talk. (laughs) But we think it's so important that we tell them it's okay to be confused. It's okay to wonder. And it's okay to not understand something. And it's also okay that mom and dad might not understand it yet either or might not have the answer yet either. Let's figure that out together. We're not always patient. In fact, that's a flaw that I have. I can be impatient. And I think that it's in that that I can admit my inadequacies, that God gives me strength 
as a parent. And I think that when we can admit that in our imperfect parenting, as imperfect people, Christ's love shows even more in us. I've been really leaning into this verse lately, and it's 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Sometimes it's really hard for me to admit my weaknesses and my inadequacies. But this says I will boast about them. Because in our weaknesses, that's when he changes us. That's when he gets a hold of our heart. And through that, that helps me as an imperfect parent. We're going to move forward in the text about 300 years. We're going to talk about another young boy, and his name is Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. If you know my son Isaac, he's eight years old. Pretty wild for me to think about. (laughs) But Josiah came from a long line of evil kings. His father and his grandfather did unthinkable things to God's people. In this time of Judah, it had been about 90 years since the people even spoke of God. They hadn't been reading scripture. They hadn't been worshiping, praying, giving the sacrifices that they were commanded to give. They'd been worshiping idols. It Unthinkable things were happening during this time. 1 Kings 21.20 says of his father, Amen. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. Josiah was different. He didn't follow in the footsteps of his biological father and grandfather. 1 Kings 22.2 He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed completely in the ways of his father, David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. David was not Josiah's father. I just told you we were moving forward 300 years in the text. So David, from 300 years ago, is Josiah's spiritual father. And in this moment, when evil things are happening, God finds a way to get to an eight-year-old's heart in the midst of all of this. Josiah had a heart like David. His early years of fully chasing after God laid the base for the later task of reforming Judah. When Josiah was 26 years old, he had gained the trust and the respect of the people of Judah. He had begun to repair the temple. The temple had been destroyed. He began to repair the temple, and he sent his people in. And they came back out with this book, and they handed it to Josiah. And this was the book of law, or the book of Moses. So it was the scriptures. No one had seen this before. So Josiah dusts it off and starts flipping through the pages. And he's reading it, and he's weeping. And the scriptures say he tore his robes because of the sins of the people 
that he had been leading and that his father had been leading. 1 Kings 22.13 Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words in this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Complete repentance for an entire nation followed this. Josiah renewed the covenants and made a promise to the Lord that they would follow his commands. It says that he tore the idols down and ground them to a dust so that no trace of the sins of his people could be left behind. This was a young boy who chased after God's heart, as David did, who became a young man, 26 years old, who started a complete revival for an entire nation. Now, Josiah chose to obey God because he loved God so much. This brings us to our second point. As a church, we must have a heart like David, and we must have obedience like Josiah. So we want our kids to have a strong love for Jesus as our Heavenly Father. We want them to love him so much that they're going to obey, not because it's what we told them to do, but because they love their father so much that they don't want to disappoint him. As a parent, I have to tell you, it is not my job to manufacture life change in my kid. My children will have a transformed life and heart because Jesus gets to them. But it's through me that we show as a family, it's through Andy and I, that we show them our heart and how much God loves them. If the Holy Spirit gets through to a kid's heart, a proper response will follow. They will be intrinsically motivated to live for Jesus and like Jesus because of his overwhelming love and sacrifice for them. Just in case you're wondering, we're raising regular kids who do naughty things. So when Isaac or Ava, and I kind of called Ava out in the first service because it's usually Ava over Isaac who's you know, getting in trouble or getting into things. Um, but when they are um, getting in trouble and needing a consequence or um, a talk and we sit down and I'm disciplining them and talking with them, they're like, do we have to tell dad when he gets home? And it's not because they're afraid of him. It's because they don't want to disappoint their father. They love their dad so much that when he comes home and he says, I'm disappointed, that's harder than if dad were angry. But what Andy does when he comes home is he sits Ava or Isaac down and he wraps them up in his arms and he says, I forgive you. I love you and I'm going to be your helper. I'm going to help you. And he prays with them. And what a perfect example in those moments of what Christ does for us. When we come to Christ with our sin, 
He wraps us up in his arms, and he tells us, I love you. There's no shame. Um, has friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they are thrown into the fiery furnace when an angel from God comes in to rescue them. Or the other one where Daniel disobeys and he prays when he is not supposed to. He doesn't follow the law, and he's thrown into a den of hungry lions. But an angel of God also comes and rescues him. But we are going to go back a little bit, and we're going to talk about Daniel as a boy. As I was reading this and studying the story of Daniel, I was completely blown away by the connection that he had with these other two young men. You see, in 609 BC, Josiah's reign ends when he is killed in a battle, and a series of events happens making Judah vulnerable for attack. King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon at this time, and Babylon invades Judah. And they take a group of young men into exile, into Babylon. And in this first group of exiles is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So what that means is that Daniel grew up as a young boy in the remnants of the revival that was sparked by the obedience of Judah. So we see Daniel taken into Babylon. We're not sure how old he was, but the Hebrew word in scripture that's used for youth also translates to male child. He was probably between 12 and 17 years old. King Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of Babylon, as I had said earlier during this time, and he had wanted to take these young, educated men, and he wanted to completely assimilate them into Babylonian culture. He wanted them to be in his service. Daniel 1.8 says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. So Daniel is in these preteen years, and he's being offered all of this food and all of these riches and wine and He's saying, no, I'm not going to do this because I know that it would be disobeying God. These young men had spiritual disciplines that were long formed before they entered Babylon as exiles. They had a deep relationship with God before they were in Babylon. They didn't conform to the world in exile. They stood firm in their convictions. However, they knew it was important that they learn everything that they could about the culture that they were living in because God was going to do a really big work in these young men's lives. They had to be in the culture, but not of the culture. 
Daniel 1.17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. The purpose that God had for Daniel as a leader during this time was incredibly great. He equipped him for everything that he needed to be an influence in the culture that he now lived a part of. So the third king that reigned over Babylon during Daniel's exile was King Darius. King Darius' advisors knew how much he respected Daniel, and they were jealous. They couldn't find any basis for charges against him. They tricked Darius into enforcing a law that anyone who prayed to any other god would be thrown to the lions. Daniel 6.10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So through his life, his relationship with God is shaped by his prayer life with him. God was purposefully preparing Daniel to fit in with the world so that he wouldn't be influenced, but that so he could be an influencer. Throughout his life, Daniel continued to find favor with others, even with the opposition that he faced. In all of his trials, he never conformed to the culture. He stood firm in his convictions, even when his life depended on it. He didn't revolt against the culture. He didn't blast the kings. He didn't storm the streets. He led with honor and love, and he faced his trials with knowledge and wisdom, and he was respected by the world for it. We want our next generation to do the same. They need to have influence in this world by standing firm in their faith and by leading with love and with honor. As a church, we have to model this. So we have to have a heart like David. We need to have obedience like Josiah. And we need to have discipline like Daniel. Our spiritual disciplines and habits shape us. Daniel was clearly a man shaped by prayer. We, as a church, we have to know who God is. We have to have a good understanding of God our Father if we want our next generation to have the same. How do we get to know the love that God has for us? We get to know him through our word, through his word, and through prayer. We have to spend time with him if we want to know him and experience his love. What we do on a regular basis is what we become. So what spiritual habits do you already have that you're forming now and that kids that you have influence over are watching? <clears throat> Time is a huge factor in this. So I just finished a great book, and it's called Family Discipleship by Matt Chandler and Adam Griffin. And if you are raising kids, I suggest that you jot this down or take a quick snapshot of it. This book was absolutely amazing. And they devote an entire chapter to time. 
it's so easy to say, when do I have the time? They say this about time. You first have to believe that your clock in your calendar exists to serve you, not the other way around, and that your time is a precious commodity to be invested wisely. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7 says, Love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. In some versions, it says, teach them to your children diligently. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up in those everyday activities. We're commanded to be diligent in teaching our youth to love and obey and honor God. And it might not seem like we have the time to do this, but we do. We're not a sports family yet, but we used to fill our schedule up. And we wouldn't even blink an eye at the five to ten hours a week that we would use doing things. And we were not intentionally discipling our kids through those moments. Now, what this doesn't look like in our home, it is not us sitting in the living room and Andy preaching a sermon on the word. That is not what it looks like. We eat together. We pray together. We play together. And it is amazing how God uses those activities to help us teach our kids about his love. If you have kids in your home, work on your own spiritual disciplines alongside them. I've been memorizing scripture. That's something that I would like to work on. I've been memorizing scripture along with Isaac and Ava. And it's way easier for them to remember scriptures than it is for me. But it's such an incredible way to model to them that mom's doing this too. Isaac and I recently memorized 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. Be on your guard. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. We say that verse before he goes to bed now, and I pray that over him. What a powerful scripture to pray over my son. And now he has that hidden in his heart, too. Well, Daniel lived in exile in Babylon. Babylon was a culture that had a lot of parallels to the world that we're living in today. Josiah's generation sparked a revival and a radical repentance during a time that Daniel's generation was raised. So let's be a generation of Josiah's, raising a generation of Daniel's, so that when they face their battles in this world, they will be able to do it with the strength that God their father gave them. We want a, ne- a generation that is bold. We want our next generation to be on fire for God. My prayer over this church is that we're a church that chases after the heart of God more than anything else that we're chasing after in this world. My prayer is that the desire starts in our own hearts and then it's in our homes and then it's in our children. And I pray that we'll model a heart for chasing after God to the next generation. I pray that when our kids face opposition, like Daniel, Josiah, and David did, that they will look in the face of their battles that they will look in the face of the idols that culture tells them to put above everything else. 
that they will look in the face of the lies that culture tells them about their identity and that they will say to those battles, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Let us be a church whose first ministry is chasing after the heart of God. Let us be a church that is consumed by that. Let us be a church that chases after his heart and not the approval of the world. Let us be a church that has a heart like David, obedience like Josiah, and discipline like Daniel. Let's pray. Father, we just love you and we thank you so much for this morning and for this word and just for the message that you're giving us right now to just desire first and foremost, just open our hearts to you, to chase after who you are, to really understand the love that you have for us, the true love of a father, the love that opens its arms to us and that welcomes us in love and not shame and not condemnation. And that gives us the strength in our weakness. Because in our weakness, you are powerful. Your perfect love strengthens us in all that we do. So I just ask right now, Father, that there are hearts that have heard this word today. And that you will just continue to transform us from the inside out. That you will just make us living vessels to do what you have planned that you will help us to raise this next generation to just love you and chase after you with everything that they have. Father, we love you. We just thank you this morning.